So where we are today is obviously with our everything that's gone on in worship, we are preparing to go through the double door into the fullness of God's promises. How many of you realize that you're not walking in the fullness of the promise of God? I mean, if you think you're walking in the fullness of what God's promised you, I want to talk to you after the service. Because I don't believe any of us are walking in the fullness of what God has promised to us. We certainly aren't individually, but we are not collectively. We have prophetic words over this house. We have prophetic words over this state and over this nation that we're barely even scratching the surface of. In all the goodness that we've got, we're not into the fullness of the promise. I mean, which among us are walking in the fullness of the maturity of the stature of Christ? Um, that was pretty silent. I think my point's well taken. Because we're not, but that is the promise in Ephesians 4, is that we would grow up into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Until we're there... We still got some doors to go through. Y'all ready to go through some doors? So let me just do a little unpacking of where we are on the Hebraic calendar. I'm not going to do this really in depth. I'm just going to do an over the top. So the word 5700, when you look at Hebraic words and numbers, they are pictograms. They have pictures that give a greater understanding they meant more and i'm not going to break that completely down but 5700 basically says may it be the year of so whatever else i say today i want your prayer to be may it be the year of in my life may it be the year of we know we're in a decade of pay p-e-y is the hebrew word and we have over the last, since going into the Hebraic year of 5780 in the fall of 2019, we have focused a lot on the mouth and on speaking. And you know, right after that, by Passover, in the year of pay, when we're to be speaking and decreeing, we all got a mask put across our face. So our face was hidden, our mouth was muzzled, and the sound that God wanted to release out of us was blocked. And yet in the middle of that, God said, I'm resetting my church, and he caused the entire world to go into Passover. He caused the entire world, he allowed, let me say it that way, he allowed the whole world to go into a place of being locked down like the Israelites were before they came out of Egypt. And unfortunately, very much like the Israelites in this season, we have been found murmuring and complaining about the bitter waters of Marah. Come on. See, we can't move forward if we're not willing to be honest about where we've been and how we've been responding to the season that we're in. We have spent so much time murmuring and complaining about what is rather than, as Bradley shared this morning, thanking God that he brought us through. 
that he has allowed us to be alive at such a time as this where his spirit is moving and he's blowing and he's causing blinders to come off of eyes. He's causing us to see what we didn't see before and he's saying, would you break out of what was and move into what is? So give thanks. See, the deal is we don't like it when difficulties come. We don't like it when we get squeezed personally. We don't like it when things don't go according to our plan. We don't like it when people don't respond to us the way we think they ought to. I'll tell you, in a 5780 season, all of our narcissistic tendencies will get exposed. Say, ouch, hallelujah. But in this season, when we're in this season of the mouth, the other part of the word for pay is face. And we have over the last four years focused on the mouth. But I really, and I've been feeling this for a while and going, God, what are you doing? But he is calling us into a deeper place of seeking his face. There is not only the expression of praise and celebration and thanksgiving that's got to come out. We have to individually and even corporately get into a place where we're so seeking his face, he can overwhelm us and put us on our face. You see, you just don't go on your face because of a choosing. You go on your face in a response. When you really see God as who he is, you can't help but bow. When you see the magnificence. And here's the deal out of Ezekiel. When Ezekiel fell on his face before the Lord, then he put the spirit of God in him and rose him up and said, stand. See, you can never really stand until you go on your face. I'm going to say that again. You can never really stand in the spirit until you go on your face. The difference between those who carry authority legitimately and those who project authority is the difference between having bowed and been stood up and those who choose to stand. See, we've got to learn how To respond to the Lord and allow him to cut through all of our self-defenses. All of the things that keep us moving in the power of our own strength. See, we're stronger. I want you to hear very carefully what I'm about to say. We're stronger in ourselves than we realize. And that's not a compliment. I mean, I want you to hear that. See, because as long as we're strong in ourselves, we'll never be able to make that transition into being strong in the Lord. When you're strong in the Lord and in the joy of the Lord, you don't have to project anything. You just simply are. And so God is wanting us to get into a place that we're so captivated by his face, so hungry to see him that we will not shrink back. But in this year of seeking his face and releasing faith-filled, thankful decrees, 
We're also at a place of dalit. D-A-L-E-T is the Hebrew word for four. And it is the year of going through the door. The issue, and I heard this said yesterday, and it just so resonated in me. The issue isn't the door. It's what's on the other side of the door. Don't get so fixated on the door that you find yourself standing at the door. We have to go through the door. So the word for, do- for dalit or door is door, road, path. It's to enter. This is a crucial year to go through the door into your future. See, the world is going to try to tell you, fear will try to tell you that you have no future. One of the things got let, released yesterday at the end of the conference in Texas was if you're over 60, which will be a lot of us in this room, you're not too old. You still have a future. And it's not just a future to face death. Now, we know that's a cycle we all go to. But if you set your face just on the crossing over at death, you're going to miss your destiny. So right now, if you're over 60, stand up. I'm standing. (laughs) Now then, those of you who are under 60, I want you to lay hands on those that are over. Come on. Yeah, no, we've actually, that was an encouraging moment for me. I'm just going to tell you. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we decree... That the ages are aligning. And these younger ones are standing with the older ones, releasing strength. And then the older ones are releasing wisdom. And a tenacity that has been forged by the journey of life. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we decree that old and young alike, all the way down to the youngest of our children, that we are moving forward together through the double door into the blessing of our future, that together we take the territory of our promise. In Jesus' name, give thanks to the Lord. You see, this is also a time where we're to be fruitful and multiply. Praise God, within the next couple of weeks, we're going to have our first city gate baby. Trey and Cassie will have a baby in a couple of weeks. Actually, it's not our first because Haven was our first. It's the first in a long time, though. We're grateful. We are grateful, and I'm just saying more come. More young couples, more babies, multiply. So this is a season to be fruitful and multiply. Who knows? We may have some more babies. We may have some more marriages. That'd be a good thing. But it's also a year that that word, that Dalit word, also represents a poor man bent over under a great burden. 
of being selfless, of bowing in humility, of sacrifice. It is a picture of Jesus as the suffering servant. So this year for us to go through this door, you need to understand that we're going to have to bow low. We're going to have to come into a place of greater humility where it's not about us, but we're so surrendered to the Lord that we may end up looking incredibly bold and audacious that some people will look at you and go, well, who do they think they are? But the deal is you've so surrendered that you don't care. You see, the fear of man is a snare. And if you're always thinking about what other people think about you, well, will they think I'm being proud? Who cares? When you're surrendered to the Lord and he says, step out and do something that looks bold and audacious, pray a prayer that sounds crazy, but you know you've heard God. It's not pride, it's humility. You see, the real definition of humility is not just debasing yourself. Come on. Because that's what religions taught us. But the Spirit of God reveals that true humility is simply agreeing with God. Be who God says you are. Take off your own cloaks of identity and take on His. Bow low before him in surrender of your self-will, your self-defense, your self-exaltation, your self-strength, your self, 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 self. Get rid of it. And then receive the garment of humility, which is actually a beautiful garment. It's filled with light. It's attractive. See, humility will take you through the door. Pride will keep you out of the door. See, the door isn't the end, but it's the entrance to the promise. It's a passageway. We must overcome in this season what is resisting and opposing us at the door. I mean, I know everybody in here can think of things that are opposing you at the door. If you didn't hear Isaac Petrie Thursday night... You need to go back and listen to Thursday night at Glory of Zion. Just telling you. And he said there's two things we have to overcome this year. One is Satan. But he said the bigger issue is our mind and our thoughts. Your mind is here. You have to get your brain into an agreement with your spirit. See, we've got to shift out of this thinking and trying to figure everything out. We've got to identify what we have to resist, what we have to overcome, how we get through the door. So there's a few things I want to just point out to us that we have to embrace in order to go through the door. And I'm going to call it a double door because I really believe we're at a double door. It's not just a single door. It's a double door because of what he's leading us into. And I apologize, I didn't do slides today, just didn't have the time to get that done. So, number one, we have to seek the face of the Lord. Psalm 105.4 says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. 
It's not a sometimes thing. It's an all the time thing. When you rise up in the morning, when you lie down at night and in between and during the night when you wake up, Lord, what are you doing? I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to be embraced by you. Psalm 24, 6 says, this is the generation of those who seek him. Say, we are are. the generation generation. that seek him, who seek his face. See, we've been in a generation that has sought his hands. We've wanted what God would give us. We've wanted the gifts. We've wanted the provision. We've wanted the protection. All that comes But we've been seeking hands, and he's saying, seek face. And here's the deal, folks. If you seek his face, you get his hands. But if you seek his hands, you don't necessarily get his face. And when you see his face, you see his glory. You see into the very nature of who God is. And when you see him that way, he changes you from glory to glory. And is that not what we're after? That's what we were called to. Hosea 5.15, this verse wrecked me years ago. And I, I came on it again this morning. I thought, okay, I've got, I've got to bring it. Because I believe this is where the church at large is. And I'm going to say even including us to the degree that we have not been in alignment with him. Hosea 5.15 says, I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. The context for this is that the children of Israel had gone astray and they were into all kinds of things God had forbidden And he had sent prophets and he had sent messages. He had sent all these things to tell them to return. And yet they did not return. And God comes to this moment. And he says, I'll return to my place until. I believe over America right now, we're facing this place of God says, you want to do it your way? I'm returning to my place until. But then what does 2 Chronicles 7, 14 say? If my people. See, it's not about what the world does. Folks, we got to quit pointing the fingers at the world. It's if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn and seek. So we have to turn from our own way, seek him. When we do that, God returns from his own place and meets us. See, this is the critical point where we are. We will not be allowed to go through the gate if we don't get this part right. That was quiet. That's a sobering word. But see, if we will do this and we will, and part of the deal is we simply need to believe who it is God says we are. Because some of the reason people stopped seeking is they did not know or believe who God said they were. Because we got so burdened down with the garbage and the weight and the condemnation of religion, we thought, well, I can't approach God. 
And God's saying, wait a minute, I said, you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I yearn for you to come to me. I am looking. My door is open. All you have to do is turn and come. But religion told us no. Anybody ever? You know, you're not good enough to come in. See, we don't come into the presence of the Lord based on who we are or what we do. We come in based on the blood of Jesus. When you really know that the blood of Jesus does what it says it does, you come boldly into the throne of grace. You don't have to beg. See, we've been beggars instead of sons. We've been acting like we're beggars, like we don't belong. And God's saying, no, wait a minute. By the blood of Jesus, you've been made heirs and joint heirs with my son Jesus. Come in, come in, come in. I yearn for you to come in with me. And then we have to taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Find and embrace the goodness of God. Find and embrace that place. Find your refuge in him. When things are going crazy in your life, find your refuge in him. When things look out of control and like I can't take another breath, I can't do another thing, I can't do it any longer. Anybody else ever said that? I sure have. And the Lord says, come find your refuge in me. Taste and see that I'm good. See, when you can taste and see that the Lord is good in the midst of the craziness of life, the craziness of life loses its power over you. And you find that he alone is your sufficiency. Next, this is connected, but be overcome with the goodness, grace, and magnificence of our God. Psalm 31, 19 says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. Find your place hidden in the goodness of God. Embrace the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> Bradley's going to minister next Sunday. I've asked him to do a message on the fear of the Lord. You do not want to miss it. We have to have a fresh baptism of the fear of the Lord. We have to. And the fear of the Lord is not something that is caught. It's something that is taught. Biblically. So I'm just going to say to you, do not miss next Sunday. Yes. Check. Because we need this. We need it desperately. And out of the fear of the Lord, then we bow before him in humble surrender. Psalm 95, 6 says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel. Before the Lord our maker. Acknowledge who he is. He's God and we're not. And then worship him in spirit and in truth. Exuberantly. Now we did that this morning. Hallelujah. In purity and with passion. Psalm 211 says. Worship the Lord with reverence. That word is another word for the fear of the Lord. And rejoice with trembling. 
See, there is something about encountering and embracing the fear of the Lord that it releases another measure of praise, thanksgiving, and worship. Because when you really see him for who he is, you can't help but rejoice. You don't tremble and fall back. You tremble and you bow down. You get up, you dance, you celebrate. You allow the overwhelming of nature of who he is to take you and overtake you. Who needs to be overtaken? See, there are days we need to be overtaken. And what happens is we start looking at all the stuff. We get our eyes out of the spirit and we look at all the stuff in our family, on our desk, on, in our bank accounts, etc., etc., etc. And when we begin to look there, we lose sight of the greatness of our God. So when you're facing that, go back to seek the Lord. Go back to praise. Go back to the fear of the Lord. Go back to that place and intentionally do it. Don't just flip by it in a two-second deal. Take some time. See, we're going to have to work, worship, praise, celebrate, and dance. Isn't that funny? I wrote this earlier. Dance our way over the threshold of the door into the promises of the year. You have to dance over the threshold. Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on. How can you listen to that and sit there? I mean, come on, guys. This morning as I got up early and was praying over today, and God, what do you want me to release? Because there's so much that we could do. He began speaking to me about how we must be aware of what waits on us at the door, seeking to keep us from passing through the door into the promises of the Lord. If we attempt to go through the Lord unaware of the battle that rages at the gate or the keys and the strategies of God to get through, we will be stopped. And see, somebody just needs to tell you that. If you think you're just going to launch on over the gate because it's a year of a door, and presumptuously, you think, well, it's the year of the door. I'm going to go through. Well, if you don't recognize what the battle is at the gate and you don't recognize that you need keys and strategies to get through that door, you will be taken out at the gate. Because the enemy is there. We must, number one, be aware of the supremacy of our God. And at the same time, not be ignorant of Satan's devices. See, I've, I've been at this long enough that I've known people that were so focused on the enemy's devices that all they could do was look at what the enemy was doing. And most of the time, guess what? They got defeated. Because they were so focused on the enemy that they couldn't see God. And the enemy is actually what they ended up worshiping. 
because they extolled to him greater power than he really has because they were so fixated. But on the other hand, there are people that are so God-focused and ignorant of the devil. They go, well, he can't touch me. I mean, I had somebody one time tell me, well, the devil can't touch me because I'm in Christ. And I said, you better pay attention. The unfortunate thing, because they refused to pay attention within six months, their family was destroyed in, in divorce and left two small children to be raised without a father. But they were ignorant and there were people around them giving warning signs. We had not a clue what was going on. Just warning signs. You need to pay attention to what's lurking at the door. See, we need to be, learn to pay attention to what God is revealing so just quickly, the Lord took me through into Revelation 2 this morning. It's not a place I camp out. I will just tell you. But he said, I turned to Revelation 2. And so I'm going to do this very quickly because I want you to see something. And then I'm going to land on one particular piece of Revelation. In Revelation 2, 1 through 7, the Holy Spirit to John the Revelator is releasing what, how Jesus sees the church at Ephesus. And he gives them all kinds of glowing reports about how good they're doing. But then he says this, return to your first love and do the works you did at the first when you first knew me. Let me ask a question. When you first really were captured by the love of God. What was your response? How did you relate to him? How, how did you position yourself to seek him every day? See, I believe that's a word for all of us right now. Because we can get so busy and caught up in the things that we're doing and how we're moving and what even the assignments of God can get so prevalent in our view that we don't stop to seek God as we did at the beginning. Now, our ways of seeking God, he will change from time to time because here's the deal. We are such a systematic people that we go, I get up at this time and I do this, 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 and this, and I've sought the Lord for the day. I mean, that's how our human brain works. And God will go, I'm going to disrupt that. I'm going to turn the apple cart all over. And then I'm going to have you seek in another way. Just reality. But there is a heart posture of seeking him as you did when you first encountered his love. So in this season, let's make sure that we are seeking as we did at the beginning. They were commended in Ephesus for hating the work of the Nicolaitans. And it says this, those that misled and delude the people, which I also hate. That's out of the um, Amplified. The Nicolaitans, listen to that. He commended them for hating their work. I really want you to hold on to that phrase for a minute. We'll get back to it. Then Revelation 2, 8 through 11. To the church of Smyrna. 
He says, fear nothing that you are about to suffer. Be faithful. I could unpack that one and do a whole lot more, but that's the word I wanted to release out of this one. Be faithful, don't fear. See, we've been talking about shaking. There were some prophetic words released this weekend at Glory of Zion that if you just look at the prophetic words and forget the goodness of God, you could go into fear. And yet, to the church of Smyrna and to us today, where we are in this time, God's saying to us, do not fear. No matter what happens, he's still God. If the economy takes a, a dip or a tumble, he's still God. If they try to mask us up again, he's still God. If we go in another shutdown, he's still God. He's still God. So do not fear. Remain faithful. Fear nothing. And then Revelation 2, it's 12 through 17, is to the church at Pergamum. Verse 13 says, I know where you dwell. This is amplified. A place where Satan sits enthroned. Yet you are holding fast to my name. But I have a few things against you. You have some among you who are holding to the corrupt teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, enticing them to sin, to depart from the ways and the commands of the Lord, to go into idolatry and particularly into sexual immorality. He said, I've got this. I've got this against you. You've tolerated some people who you allowed them to keep prophesying out of divination. You allowed them to keep prophesying in a way that led people away from the pure way of the Lord. You allowed people to bring in compromise into my holy temple and you didn't correct it. That's basically what he was saying to this church. So we need to understand, and even in verse 15 says, you also have some who are in the same way holding to the teaching of what? The Nicolaitans. So within a few verses, Jesus addresses the issue of the Nicolaitans. Now, we've probably not heard a lot of teaching on it, I'm not going to try to unpack it all the way, but I want to give you some nuggets and to tell you this thing is alive and well in the charismatic church today. Now, a lot of people aren't going to like me saying that, and I, you know, whatever. The Nicolaitans, the word literally means, from the Greek, it means to subdue and conquer the people. Yeah, oh wow is right. The name was developed after one who came, quote, to faith in Christ named Nicholas. He was a pagan 
who converted to Judaism, who then converted to Christianity. And what he did is he kept all of his practices all the way through. So he ended up in the church bringing his pagan practices and telling them it was okay. You could still tap into the occult. You could still tap in to the supernatural and the practices that you knew before. I'm just letting that kind of settle in on us a minute. Because when the supernatural, when the prophetic is particularly pray to this. And we're a prophetic house and I can be as prophetic as the next person. It's part of the gifting and the way God wired me. But I'm going to tell you, if you are bringing into your prophetic something that is linked in with divination, which is a wrong motivation, or you're so hungry for revelation, you'll get it from anywhere. You are moving into the dangerous field of moving by the Nicolaitans. And I'm just going to tell you, I won't tolerate it. Because I can't. I don't want Jesus to come and say, I'll remove your lampstand because you, dealt, you didn't deal with this thing. See, occultic practices are those things that are hidden. Those things that have a covering over them. They have a way of, of releasing, quote, revelation in order for the person with the revelation to get a greater hand over you. So that they can control you. So they can manipulate you. Or they can release a word over you that's so grandiose that it causes you to run from the very place God told you to be. Prophetic words that are enticing and seducing. It's very closely linked to Jezebel, to be quite honest. And we need to develop in us a greater level of discernment by the Spirit. And where that starts is with this book. See, if you don't know what the Bible says about things, and you don't know what the Word of God says, what has been written, how in the world can you rightly discern what God is presently saying? Because anything He says today will never violate this. Not ever. And here's the crazy thing. Is religion and the occult are very tightly connected. And a lot of what's at the door into our promise. Is the linking of religion and the occult. And we're going to have to find our way through it. By getting it disentangled from us. See, we live in a culture that is saturated with the occult and with religion. I mean, we've got a church on every corner and we have a psychic on every other corner. Right? Have you ever asked the question, God, how can it be... That we've got these great big huge churches that are supposed to be bringing the light of the gospel of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And next door, you've got a palm reader. 
And then you find people in the church that went to a fortune teller. And then I'm going to meddle with some people. And then you have people in the church that go to a prophet to put a demand on the prophet. Can you prophesy to me so I know what to do? Rather than them seeking God to find for themselves. It's the same occultic structure. And then... What about those that are dabbling in the occult through the avenues of entertainment? Embracing Harry Potter? Watching movies like Lucifer? Going into places in the entertainment realm? Well, it's just fun. It's no big deal. It's a big deal. You're allowing your children to get infected with pagan practices. You're teaching them occultic symbols. You're teaching them occultic patterns to follow. And then you bring them to church where it's dead and they don't encounter the presence of God. Guess what they're going to run after? Why do you think there's so much confusion in the world today? Because we've allowed this infiltration of paganism into the church so they don't know their God. Therefore, they don't know who they really are because our identity is 100% totally found in Christ and Christ alone. We'll never be found anywhere else. See, we've been tolerating it in the church. When Chuck Pierce had an encounter with the Lord in 2008, he saw in the state of Georgia two iniquitous thrones. And those are thrones of iniquity, which would be thrones of the enemy, which would be thrones of paganism, which would be thrones of the occult. One was in this region around Atlanta and the other one near Savannah. Do you know where two of the highest concentrations of witchcraft are in the nation? Savannah and Atlanta. Do you know how much of it has infiltrated the church? Why do you think apostolic prophetic churches are not growing? It's because most want a message that goes, oh, you want to go to Harry Potter? Go ahead. Are you on to parade your gift around and prophesy to people so that they will come to you for every prophetic word they need and every time they need to hear from God? It grieves me. But I know we've got to deal with this if we're going to go through the gate. See, compromise in these areas and other areas of sin, this is just one that's really highlighted for me today. Any area of sin that we embrace and we refuse to deal with strips us of the power of the cross and of the Holy Spirit. It will lead us, and I read this in something recently, 
lead us into living by a, listen to this phrase, lowered godly standard. See, years ago, the Lord showed me this vision and he said, how many of you have ever, you remember in elementary school when you do the high jump? I used to do high jump, you know, many, many, many years ago. But I was good at it. And I had this vision of a high jump, you know, the pole and you run and then you jump over. And he said, the church has lowered the pole so low that anybody can just step over it. There's no need for true faith. There's no need for true surrender. There's no need for discipleship. There's no need for growing in grace and and mercy and growing in maturity. And see, the thing is, it's not about a door into salvation. It's about a door into living in faith. See, salvation is not by your works, but once you come through the gate of salvation, your faith gets activated and revealed by your works. And we took all of the works away and said, oh, that's just legalism. That's just religion. And God said, wait a minute, I put it in my word that by your fruit you'll know them and that your faith is revealed by your so we've lowered the standard in our nation. It's so low, it's really staggering. But we've got another danger in this is that when you hear somebody like me say these kind of things, one of two things can happen. You've got those that can go, she's just being legalistic and rigid because they're the anything goes people, Right? I mean, I can actually feel it in the room a little bit of, wait a minute, that sounds real legalistic. It actually isn't. It's just the word. But then, okay, hold on. There's the other side that can use the letter of the law as a weapon that beats people up because they messed up. And see, we can't go in either ditch. And both ditches are religious, folks. They're both religious. This group over here says, love, 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 love. Don't require anything. They don't, have to, they don't have to be holy. They can't be holy. They don't have to be righteous. They don't have to. You got this group, right? Just love them. Love them like they are. They don't have to change. We accept you as you are, but when you get washed in the blood of Jesus and you come into a born-again experience, the Spirit of God on the inside is going to transform you. And if there's not transformation in your life, not happening in your life, question you're born again. I'm convinced the majority of the church has awakened soul and not a born again spirit. But then if you're over here, the religious side is like, well, you can't do anything because you haven't read every Bible and you haven't translated and you haven't and you haven't and you haven't. Come on. You're activated to move in the spirit of God. 
Because the Spirit of God that is in you came in not as a junior Holy Spirit, regardless of your age. He came in the fullness of who He is. So if you're born again by the blood of Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you. You can lay hands on the sick and they'll get healed. You can prophesy over people and they'll get delivered. You can speak to people and they'll get saved. So you need to hear that I'm not saying, oh, you got to jump out through all these hoops to get activated. I'm just saying, don't go into legalism by the letter of the law that's a rod, but don't go into lasciviousness over here that lets everything go. Dutch wrote this on Tuesday's Give Him 15. I'm only going to read one paragraph. He said, I recently read a very concerning article regarding millennials, those born between 1980 and 1995. According to George Barna, only two, hear me, two of every 100 in this group, 2% have a biblical worldview. To possess a biblical worldview means a person believes the Bible is the infallible world, word of God. And they consider it the ultimate authority for all of life. Just let that sink in. Basically, an entire generation of Americans believe the Bible is irrelevant. How can anyone argue that it will not take a great awakening and reformation to save America. It also makes one wonder how so many churches can simply continue with business as usual. When I heard him read that the other day, My kids are that age. Many of us in this room that are that, I'll say 55 and up age group, that's our kids. And their peer group, 2%. Now, many of them are in church. But they don't have a biblical worldview. They don't. They don't have the Bible as the solid foundation. They don't know the Word of God. They don't read it. They don't study it. They don't want to, quite honestly. And yet, I don't blame them. I say, God, forgive us. Forgive us for not teaching and training in a way that hunger and thirst for the word became a part of their daily life. We've gotten a lot of people to accept Jesus but not accept his word and he is the word. We've promised them an eternity without revealing that eternity starts now. See, we've allowed a non-biblical worldview to flourish in our nation. We've not insisted on a biblical standard for living in righteousness, justice, and truth. 
We've not taught people how to have a godly standard for making day-to-day -day choices. We have a compromised standard regarding the prophetic and what it means to walk in the spirit. We've allowed divination to crouch at the gate, which is revelation given with a wrong motivation or leading into anything that is not God's purpose for a person or a people. Genesis 4, 7 says, if you, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. That word for crouching is the word rabos, and it's to stretch oneself out. It's a picture of a beast of prey. Sin's crouching at the door. The entrance of a doorway is also known as a threshold, right? The word for threshold is mifton, M-I-P-H-T-H-A-N. And it comes from the root word of P-E-T-H-E-N. When it's spoken, it sounds like a bit like python. And it literally means a venomous snake. And it comes from an unused root word meaning to twist. You see how all this is fitting together? See, python, a twisting, a twisting serpent, is at the threshold. It's blocking the threshold to keep us from entering into our presence, into the promise of God, into our future. But Psalm 91.13 says, what? You will tread. Upon the lion and the cobra, Python. The young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Now listen to it in the Passion Translation. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest power of darkness, trampling every one of them under your But folks, if we're going to trample on Python that's at the threshold to the door of our entrance into our future, we must not be in a place of compromise. We cannot have a blending mixture with the enemy because Python represents religion and the occult. And I want us to be free. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Nathaniel, if you'll come, maybe even the team, come with you. I want to loose over you a fresh anointing of discernment and a power of the Holy Spirit to break out of any area of compromise. Now, what that's going to require of us is that we ask Holy Spirit to search us and try us. Because here's the deal when we get into dealing with the occult and with compromise. You don't know what you don't know. 
And the problem with deception and with compromise is that the person who's deceived and compromised rarely knows they are. Other people around them may go, oh, hmm. <laughs> but we rarely recognize it ourselves. But Holy Spirit is such a glorious counselor that without condemnation, he'll show you. And here's the easy part of it. Once he shows it, I agree. I agree. Father, forgive me. I, I simply agree. I didn't know I was doing what I was doing. But I'm asking that by the blood of Jesus, you cleanse me completely. That I'd be able and be empowered to move in the purity and the passion and the power of Holy Spirit. That any self-exaltation and self-projection that I'm moving in in the gifts of the Spirit or in how I operate in my business or my interactions with anyone in any way. That as we're standing here at the entrance to 5784, that we would be completely delivered. Because God's always looking for somebody and a couple of a company of people that will break through the gate and make a way for others. See, if, if we can make a way through this gate, we will have a place in the Spirit that we can war it for the rest. Now, I believe there's a bunch of places that are doing this. I, don't, I am not in any way thinking we're, we're the only one. I just know that there's a mantle on this house for us to do this. Because we know people. If I were to go around this room, we all know people that have in one way or another gotten entangled with the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. They enjoy the demonstrations of power out of the Spirit, but it's compromised. And it's not producing fruit and fruit that remains. See, when we move by the Spirit of God, there is fruit and fruit that remains. Lives are changed. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, over each and every one of us, those in the room and those watching online. I'm asking, Father, that by your grace and your mercy, that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation into each and every one of us, that you would disentangle us from the twisting of Python, from the twisting of that spirit that has sought to blend the occult and the religion together in us and keep us out of the spirit, having us move in a form of godliness but denying the power thereof or by operating in a power that is not pure and holy. 
Father, you are so passionate and so desirous to release the greatest awakening and reformation the world has ever seen. And I am asking, Father, in the name of Jesus, that in this place, in this house, and in those that are listening, God, that you would loose a fresh anointing over us to break out of that which has held us back. Lord, that you would loose a fresh anointing that is filled with the grace of God that we would trample on the threshold we would trample on the serpents and scorpions and every evil thing and they would by no means have any victory over us but God that by us going forth in the anointing of those sent out into the culture that we will be instruments to see other people set free and brought in to the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom not a compromised gospel, God. Not just praying a sinner's prayer and they think they're saved and yet they don't know you. Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would do such a work in us that it, we would become an unstoppable people in the Spirit. So filled with you. Father, activate the evangelist in the room. Eva activate those that are called to go out and set captives free. Activate the deliverers in the room. Activate the pure and holy prophetic. Father, activate a boldness in your people. Break off the bondages of religion that have kept us stagnant and not moving, bound up in what we know rather than in who we know. And the only who we need to know is you. So Father, by the blood of Jesus, loose your people that in this year we go through this double door. And Lord, I decree that the double doors even into this building are open wide and that we will not be counted among the number that are stagnant in group and growth, nor simply growing by transfer. God, but there will be an, in, an influx of brand new believers. Father, even those that have been captive in other other churches that had compromised, but they don't really know you. God, let them come out in the name of Jesus to be delivered into the fullness of the gospel. And God, any place in us that needs a fresh work, we humble ourselves before you. We say, do whatever you must do in us so that you might do through us all that you desire to do, that your name will be praised, that the power of the iniquitous structures in this state, in this nation, would be completely dismantled. And the structures of your kingdom that loose people to live by the Spirit in freedom, in wholeness, would be loosed over this nation. Let the reformation that we need be by the Spirit, not by the works of our hands alone. Father, let everything be done according to your word and by your Spirit. 
that you may be glorified in the name of Jesus exalted, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lift up a shout. Deliverance is our portion.